that you want to say something to us and you want to meet with us. I pray that we just be open now to what it is that you want to say. I pray it in Jesus' awesome name. Amen. Does anyone remember the show Wheel of Fortune? Yeah, everyone kind of remember Wheel of Fortune? Um, when I was a boy, which I know was a long time ago, when I was a boy, Wheel of Fortune used to play every day on TV after school. Uh, I think it was about sort of 4 to 4.30, 5 o'clock. Uh, and so it was pretty normal uh, for me and my brother to come home, uh, maybe pretend we did a little homework, but then kind of grab a snack and sit down and watch Wheel of Fortune. And uh, I remember this one day, I remember this really clearly. Um, my mum was teaching, she'd gone back to teaching, so my brother and I got home uh, alone and uh, we got a snack and we're watching Wheel of Fortune when my mum gets home. She opens the door, comes in, uh, kind of walks through uh, the family room where the t TV is, says, hello, how are you going, boys? Have a good day. She looks at the TV, uh, the person on Wheel of Fortune, she says, oh, that's your cousin. I'd never seen this person before in my life. Uh, this is a true story. And she said, I said, what do you mean? That's my cousin. She said, oh, that, that lady spinning the wheel, that's your cousin. And she then explained to me that um, uh, my mum was um, the second youngest of seven siblings and her oldest brother, um, my uncle Harry, was a lot older than her. Um, uncle Harry lived in uh, Sydney, uh, so we didn't see him very much. And he had one of those crazy lives. You know, everyone's got that family. Everyone's got that one person in their family, that kind of crazy dude. Well, that was my Uncle Harry. And he'd done all sorts of crazy stuff in his life. And um, he'd been married at least four times that we knew about or that mum knew about. Um, there were eight kids that he'd had through his four wives that she kind of knew about. And this was one of those uh, kids. So it was, um, uh, it was my mum's niece, but she was basically the same age as my mum, right? And I'd never met this, this person. I didn't even know this person existed. But there I am watching Wheel of Fortune, and the person on Wheel of Fortune is my actual cousin. Isn't that weird? <laughs> family can be a crazy thing, can't it? I mean, I'm sure we've all got, like, the crazy family stories. Like, you know, like, when you start this thing, as soon as I say that, you'll want to go, well, in my family, there's right. we've all got that crazy family story. We're journeying through the book of Galatians at the moment. And uh, for those of you new here, um, we say this each week, but you can catch up on what we've been doing through Galatians, all of these messages that are on YouTube and uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. But a quick catch up, a quick recap of where we've been. Um, we've said that the book of Galatians, we call it the book of Galatians, but it's not actually a book. It's a letter. It's a letter that uh, Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. Uh, in around about 49 AD. Um, uh, Galatia is what we now call Turkey. So grab a, a map or an atlas on your phone, open up where you see Turkey, that's where Galatia was. Um, uh, we said that Paul had visited Galatia um, one to two years before this, and he'd been sharing about Jesus, and people had come to believe in Jesus, and he'd organised them into these little churches, tiny little churches, and it's about a year or two later and Paul hears on the grapevine that there's some weird stuff going on in the churches in Galatia. And, and, and here's a, one of the things that's happened is that after Paul's left, some other people have come into these churches and they've become sort of, they've began teaching their own things about Jesus and they're teaching some different stuff and some, as far as Paul's concerned, some really wrong and weird stuff about Jesus. And the thing that's really got him upset is that 
They are teaching uh, the church in Galatia. They're teaching these brand new little Christians um, that if you want to become a Christian, you've also got to become a religious Jew. And so they're saying, yeah, you can be a Christian, you can believe in Jesus, but you've also got to keep all of the Jewish holy days and you've also got to keep all of the Jewish laws and rituals and all of their traditions. You've got to do that as well. And Paul gets really fired up about that. And so what the, the little book that we call Galatians in our Bible is Paul's letter that he wrote to try and fix this situation, that he wrote to try and kind of get these little churches back on track and point out the, the, the problems with what they're doing. Paul begins the letter introducing himself and, and sort of like um, stating his resume. If you look the first uh, chapter or two of Galatians, there's, there's a lot of Paul saying, look, I was sent by God and uh, this is the message I got by God. And, you know, he talks about how he knows Peter and, you know, he's, he's kind of he, he's sort of in with Peter and the leaders of the church. And, and then he jumps straight into his frustration with the church. Uh, we read in Galatians 1, uh, verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. Verse 9, as we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, in other words, if anyone's teaching anything other than what we told you, let them be under God's curse. And last week we saw that, that Paul was arguing, was kind of making his case for the, the, the fact that the, the churches in Galatia, they didn't have to obey all these extra rules and teaching. And his argument sort of went like this. He said, when you first came to believe in Jesus, when you first got your faith, did you get that by obeying a bunch of laws or did you get that by believing in Jesus? And like it's a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious. Well, we got it by believing in Jesus. We didn't even know there were any Jewish laws at that point. And, and so he goes on to argue, he says, well, if you got your faith by believing in Jesus, why would you now think that you have to keep your faith by obeying all these laws? You see, you don't have to, you don't have to obey all these laws to kind of keep you. You got faith just by believing in Jesus. That's all you need to do to keep growing in your faith in God. Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? That's the believing part. Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Which the flesh is his way of saying all of those laws and traditions and stuff. And we talked last week about the way that we can so easily complicate our own faith in today's world. And we have different traditions and rules and stuff, but it's so easy for us to add on a whole bunch of things and say, well, if you're a Christian, you should also do these things. You know, you should also dress this kind of way. You should also hang out with these people. You should also listen to this kind of music. You should also do this or do that. And we add our own rules to what it means to be a Christian. Our own rules beyond what Paul would say is the foundation of our faith, which is believing in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so today we're going to jump into Galatians chapter 3, where Paul's going to add another layer to this argument. So if you've got a Bible, we're in Galatians uh, chapter 3. If it's on your phone, that's fine. If you've got a paper Bible, um, there are a couple of extra Bibles on the back table if you want to grab one. Um, and we've said all along, uh, halfway through your Bible, three quarters of the way through your Bible, you've got the boys' names, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And then you've got big books of uh, Acts and Romans and 1 and 2 Corinthians. And then these four little books, they're all only about four or five pages. And Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians is the first one of those. 
So we're in Galatians 3. I'm going to start reading from verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise. Continuing on into chapter 4. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls our Abba, Father. Abba is uh, a, like a, a, an ancient word in this language that means it, it's like daddy. You know, like how we have like father and daddy. It's, it's a kind of more casual word for father. The spirit who calls our Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also his heir. <clears throat> Paul begins saying, so in Christ Jesus. That's his way of saying, for those of you who believe in Jesus, right? So he's talking to the the believers, to the Christian people. He's saying, for those of you who believe in Jesus, uh, verse 26, you are all children of God through faith. He's saying, "When when you give your life to God, and baptism is a sign of that. That's the reference to baptism in that sentence. When you give your life to God, to Jesus... You are clothed with Jesus, he says. It's like, it's like Jesus sort of comes on you. It's like his life sort of gets transposed on your life. It's like Jesus becomes part of your identity. Just the way it's like, you know, clothes now are sort of part of our identity. They communicate something about the kind of person that we are. See, when you come to Christ, it's like you are clothed with Christ. Christ becomes part of your identity. He says, and you share that identity with everyone else who's made that same decision. He's saying, you're all on the same team. You're all part of the same family. He's saying, the things that divide you in this world dissolve away when you enter the family of God. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. He's saying none of those things, none of those differences matter when you believe in Jesus. People who were once them now become us. Those things that used to divide us into us and them go away and and in Christ we all become us. Paul goes on to give an example of the way this works. He gives an example of the way that a child inherits their parents' estate. He says, before Jesus, before Jesus came, people were like an underage heir. 
So he's saying, like, imagine you're 15 years old and uh, your parents own a big company. And when you're 15 years old, both of your parents die and you're left with the company. He's saying what happens is that while you own the company, while you've already inherited the company and it's yours, you don't actually get to run the company at age 15. Right? There are still uh, sort of overseers or managers or people, even though you own the company, they kind of still run the company. And actually, at that period, you're really no different from an employee or a person hired in the company. He says, but there will come a time, there will come a time, say when you're 18 years of age, when you will properly inherit the company. And when all of a sudden you will sort of transition to, to actually fully taking on that inheritance and not only will you own the company, you'll then have control of the company. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And he's saying that's like the difference between faith before Jesus and faith after Jesus. He's saying that's like the difference between faith and what he sort of calls the old covenant, what in our Bibles we might kind of call the Old Testament part of the Bible and the new covenant. He's saying, now that Jesus has come, and remember, he's saying this to people who can remember Jesus coming. He's saying, now that Jesus has come, it's like all those things that were, that, were sort of, that, that were sort of around there in the background, they've now come into their sort of fullness. They've actually come into reality now. Now, this doesn't kind of make a lot of sense to us because none of us can remember life without Jesus, as in a world without Jesus. But remember, he's writing to people who can remember what faith was like before Jesus and what faith is like after Jesus. But for us to really understand the, the point and what he's trying to talk about, we really need to understand what he means when he says we are a child of God, we are children of God. And maybe you've heard that phrase before, you know, you're a, you're a child of God. Maybe you've heard that. Um, we sing it. It was in some of the songs we sang this morning. And it's easy to think that that's a nice idea, right? It's easy to think that God is like uh, sort of a nice, loving, friendly father figure. You know, you, you picture whether it's your own dad or someone else's dad, you picture that kind of nice, loving, friendly dad. You know, and I'm like a child and God wants to cuddle me and, and, you know, be nice to me and give me nice stuff. And it's all it's all warm and fuzzy. But what Paul is trying to teach the Galatians is way more than that. Way more than that. What he's teaching them is a really radical idea. It's a life-changing and a world-changing idea for them. And I want to suggest to you today, it's a life-changing and world-changing idea for us. I want to suggest to you that it's life-changing and world-changing for two reasons. First, it's life-changing to really understand what it means to be a child of God. It's life-changing to know that you can make a decision for Jesus and become a child of God. And secondly, it's world-changing to understand that this makes you brothers and sisters with other believers, no matter what other things separate you from those people. First, it's life-changing to understand that you are a child of God. Do you know how crazy it is to say that you are a child of God? 
Do you know how crazy it is to say that the God who created the whole universe and is over this, that he knows who you are? That he's actually interested in you? That he cares about you? That he would love you? That's a life-changing idea. And you might just kind of go, yeah, that's the way it is. That is a really different idea in the religious and the spiritual space. I mean, most gods, most ideas of God don't love or care or know anything about ordinary people. Gods care about themselves. They're gods, right? That's what they do. It's kind of like the Avengers. No, 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 seriously, it is. No, wait, 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 wait. The gods, the gods in the Avengers care about themselves. And they're fighting amongst the, themselves and they're positioning themselves amongst themselves. You ever thought like the people, the actual ordinary people, they're extras in the story. They're NPCs in the game. No one cares about the actual people in those stories. Do you ever thought about that? They're the ones that just get squashed and blown up while the gods are doing their things. It's a totally different idea to think that the gods would, would, would sort of turn away from themselves and would actually care about the little people. Jesus came to paint a very different picture of God. Jesus comes and reminds people that God created them. And not only he created them, that God created people in his own image. Jesus came to remind people that God loves people. God, God loves them so much that he was heartbroken, absolutely heartbroken at the idea that sin and greed and anger and that those sort of things would separate people from God. And he would do anything, to, he loved people so much, he would do anything to bring them back, to, to get them back to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the plan, that's, that's the summary of God's love for you, that he loved you so much. That he would sacrifice his own son just so that he could have a relationship with you again. The God that Jesus talks about is a God that knows you. A God that loves you and a God that would do anything to have a relationship with you. And honestly, some of us just need to stop this morning and let that sink in. Some of us need to decide if we actually believe that that is true. Not believe it true in here in like little church world, but actually believe that is true when we go to uni and to school and to our jobs and to our families and to the other things that we do outside of here in the real world. Because the truth is that some of us don't feel loved, do we? The truth is that some of us feel alone. The truth is that some of us feel worthless. And we might not say it out loud, but the truth is that some of us look in the mirror and think, I don't love me. 
there's no way that God could love me. And some of us this morning need to just stop right here and listen to what God says about you. When he says, I created you, I know you, and I love you. That's what it means to be a child of God. And if you get that, I mean really get that, like in here, not just in here, that is absolutely life-changing. Not in church life-changing. That changes the way that you see yourself, the way that you live life, the way that you see God. But there's a second radical idea that Paul's laying out here and a maybe an even more important idea. And it's the world-changing idea that being a child of God makes other Christians, makes other believers your brothers and sisters. There's neither Jew nor Greek, uh, sorry, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Paul lived in a world where people divided themselves into us and them all the time. They divided themselves into us and them nationally. There's really a strong sense of where Jews and your Greeks, where Greeks and your Romans, where Romans and your everybody else. There's a really strong sense, it was like that. Uh, there was really strong senses of us and them socially. There were big gaps between the rich and the poor, between the educated and the uneducated between those who were slaves and those who were free. There were huge us and them gaps religiously. And there were, there were even us and them gaps within religions. You know, there were, there were good religious people and there were the other religious people. There were religious people that kept the law and gave the right amounts of money. And there were those that didn't. And everybody thought that their group was better than the other group. Everybody thought that their us was better than the other thems. Sound like a world that you recognise? Because let's be honest, 2,000 years later, we're not all that different, are we? And Paul wants the Galatians to see that anyone, anyone who makes the decision to believe in God and to follow him in their life becomes part of the same family. That everyone becomes an equal, becomes a brother and a sister. We've all got the same inheritance. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or not. It doesn't matter whether you're a slave or not. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female or rich or poor. And we might say, it doesn't matter what colour your skin is. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what political party you vote for. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter whether you're vaccinated or not. It doesn't matter whether you're in a Christian school or a public school. It doesn't matter what you think about climate change. It doesn't matter what kind of church that you go to. When you meet someone who believes in Jesus, they are a brother and a sister with you. 
And I want to tell you, in a world, and this is the world that we live in, in a world that seems to become sort of increasingly fractured, increasingly broken by kind of us and them, and people wanting to divide themselves, this is potentially a world-changing idea. Paul is saying that Christianity is, or at least it should be, it should be a unifying force in the world. That people should look at Christians, they should look at the church, they should look at believers. And if you're not a believer here this morning, that's totally cool. Like, you ought to be looking at the church going, well, you know, there's lots of division, but wow, these people, these people share a kind of family that it doesn't matter what they look like, it doesn't matter where they come from, there's something about these people. When we follow Jesus, we instantly become part of the family of God. And other believers, wherever they are and whatever they look like, become your brothers and your sisters. I've been taking um, teams of people into Thailand for over 15 years. And we take teams of people, um, and we partner with a local Christian church over there. It's a Christian church, but a Thai Christian church. They're all Thai people. And um, as part of the sort of training and preparation for going, um, we spend a lot of time talking with people about some of the cultural differences with Thailand and you know, how you kind of got to act and, and how things work. And, and one of the things that people always get really nervous and a little bit stressed about is when we teach them about the why. It's the W-A-I, the why. It's, like, it's the formal greeting that happens in Thailand. And people get a bit stressed because they're like, well, who do I have to do it to? Because it's a formal greeting, so you do it in some circumstances but not in others. So like, when do I have to do it and who do I have to do it to and how do I have to do it? Because believe it or not, like where you do, how high the why, it makes a difference, right? You just kind of can't sort of casually. You've got to know how to use the why. And so we talk all about this, but then every year I say this to them. I say, but do you know what? When you get to the airport and you meet the Thai Christian church, who will all be there, a big bunch of them to meet you, you will not have to why. Do you know why? Because they don't see you as strangers. They don't see this as a formal greeting. They see you as brothers and sisters as part of their family. And they will greet you warmly and personally because you are brothers and sisters in Jesus with them. How cool is that? We look very different from them. We speak a different language Every one of our customs, the food we eat, the way we go to school, the way we work, everything is different between us and our Thai family. We really have only one thing in common. Well, two things if you like, soccer. Uh, <coughs> only one thing in common is that we are followers of Jesus and that makes us family. Paul was so upset when he saw the divisions in the Galatian church. He was frustrated that they were arguing about all these, these little additional things in faith. He was angry at the way that they were treating one another, that they weren't loving and accepting one another, that they'd created us and them inside the church. He was deeply disappointed that they'd lost 
their main focus on the truth about Jesus and they were now arguing about all of these other sorts of things. And I think, and this is just my thoughts, I think Paul would be devastated if he saw the way that some people in churches treat others today. I think Paul would be amazed in a bad way if he saw the way that some churches and some Christian people fight about stuff. I think he'd be disappointed if he saw the way that we treat one another sometimes. I think he'd be angry if he saw the way that Christians judge people and, and including judge other Christians sometimes. He'd find a copy of that letter and he'd reread it to us. He'd say, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He'd say, guys, don't you remember when you said yes to Jesus? And I want to say, like, Paul's writing to Christians here. But if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, like, like this is the picture that Paul wants you to see of the offer that's being made to you. Does that make sense? He's kind of opening the door on the inside of Christianity and he's saying, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, this is what we're offering. This is what we should be offering to you. He's opening the doors and saying, when you say yes to Jesus, you become a child of the God who loved you and created you. And you instantly join a family of people who might be different to you in every other way, but they are family because they've made that same decision that you have. If you can take hold of that truth, it will change your life. Understanding that you are a child of God will change your life. Understanding what that means for the way you connect with other people is not only life-changing, it's potentially world-changing. I mean, man, imagine how our world would change if people who called themselves Christians had that kind of unity amongst them. Imagine how other people would see the church, you know? Imagine how other people would see Christians. Do you think that would be... I think that would be attractive, wouldn't it? You know, we spend time going, why aren't people coming to church? It's like, well... Like sometimes we don't give a really great reason, you know what I mean? I see those people in the church and it's like, I'm not sure I want to go there. I'm not sure I want to be like them. Paul says there there should be a kind of unity. There should be a kind of family within the church that makes people on the outside, people who are not in the building going, you know what? They've got some wacky views about God and some wacky views about what happens when you die. But man, there's something about those people. When Paul writes that we're children of God, this isn't a warm, fuzzy thing, you know, with a, with a big friendly God who sits in the cloud and cuddles you. He's writing, writing about an idea that would change their world, that would change their lives and change their world. That would change the way that they see God. It would change the way that they see themselves. And it would change the way that they see other people. That's the good news of the book of Galatians. Mm-hmm.